I love that song. Man, I tell you what, you can't sit for that one. You have to stand, don't you? Well, hello, Facebook people. It's good to see you out there. Pastor Jason lounging on the beach. He said he'd be watching this morning, suffering for Jesus. Uh, it's good to have visitors here this morning. We welcome you and those that are watching by Facebook. Uh, we have people from Georgia. The Watsons are here. used to be members. We sprayed them down and everything like that. They're, they're good. They're okay to be here. Uh, we're going to be talking about stones. We're not going to stone people this morning, you know. Uh, we're not going to bring the Georgia people up and stone them, but, but uh, we're talking about memorial stones. And I brought 12 stones because that's actually what they brought out of the Jordan. Now, each one of us, what I want you to focus on this morning is what are your memorial stones? Well, this one today for me is January, you know, June 28th. It's when my daughter-in-law, I'm going to get in trouble for this, was born. So anyhow, I just had to throw that in for her birthday today. So I know you're mad at me. That's okay. <laughs> it's her birthday today. Happy birthday. There we go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. But here we are. Pastor Jason brought us through three chapters of Joshua. Remember last week, it was, it was dangerous. They were crossing the Jordan. It is one of the climatic events in all of biblical history. The Israelites had waited 40 years, 40 years, but now the time had come. It's a moving moment as they stride across the riverbed of the Jordan, opened by the miraculous power of God. Behind them, they leave the wearing decades of wandering and meandering around in, in a barren wilderness, the tragic memories of, of countless funerals that they had to do, of, of uh, an entire generation of people who would not trust God's promises. Slavery in Egypt and the, the bare survival of nomadic life are bygone experiences now. A new and welcome chapter opens for them. They're excited. Can, I want you to feel their emotions. Before them lay a land richer than their dreams and more fruit than their hopes and more beautiful than their imagination. Now it is theirs by God's steadfast promise. It must have felt surreal to be standing in Canaan now. You know, kind of when you, you unlock the door to your first house, you, know, you envision it, you, you, you plan for it, you imagine what it will be like, uh, what you'll do with it. But when you step in that front door, your emotions just soar, don't they? It's like, wow, I'm finally in our first house. Well, think about those emotions because to them, to be the fulfillment of an ancient promise to Father Abraham must have been overwhelming. It had to be. Their joy, their joy that they had, had been magnified by recent events. As Pastor Jason covered, when they arrived at the Jordan, they found it in flood stage. They looked at it and said, there's no way we can get across this. Fast and dangerous was the Jordan. The river was impassable, the crossing impossible. But, this but I love, God intervened. Do you have a river today that's impassable? impossible to get over God intervene folks but God intervene he can intervene in your life performing a miracle that that paralleled the miracle uh, of the exodus from Egypt God rolled back the waters of the Jordan just as pastor Jason shared with us just said he'd done with the Red Sea 
God meant what he had said through Moses years before. Here was his signature again at the Jordan, in the same way, to assure the people that he was good to his word. Don't forget that. God is good to his word. All the promises in here, he's good to his word. When he says, I can do all things through Christ, that promise, I can do all things through Christ. When he says, you can have a peace that passes all understanding, you can have a peace that passes all understanding. God is good to his promises. When he says, I'm going to call the church up in the clouds, He's going to call us up to be in the clouds with him forever. And I'm hoping it's soon. I'm hoping it's real soon. And, and, and I, I, my wife and I just celebrated our anniversary, and I said, Honey, I want to be raptured together. Wasn't that romantic, ladies? Aw. But I wanted to be with her. She said it was romantic, so I'm just repeating what she said. But I want to be raptured, and I want to go soon, you know, because it's better for where we're going than here. It really is. So here we are. They, they, Israel crossed. God gave Joshua when they crossed some very specific instructions about 12 stones. Turn to Joshua chapter 4. That's where we're at now on your device or whatever you have with you. Joshua 4. I think I'm going to have it on the screen as well. But um, we're going to talk about now the first three verses, Joshua 4 verses 1 through 3. Now, when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. Now go to verse 6 and 7 of that same chapter. Let this be a sign among you, and here's the reason for this memorial. So that when your children ask you later, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you will say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Look at verse 23 and 24. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you will you may fear the Lord your God forever. This is what happens when the impossible meets the promises of God, folks, right here. This is a story of that. But I want you to come back to that verse 6 and 7, and I want you to say that question, what do these stones mean to you? When your children ask later, what do these stones mean to you? And I started thinking about that. I said, you know, my grown children, I said, what would, if I asked them that question, what do these stones mean to you in my life, my memorial, what would they say? Well, Dad, I remember this stone is, is when you said, told us how you accepted Christ as your Savior. And, and this stone is, is, is when, when you got rid of your anger and got it under control. This stone is when you and mom went through a difficult time in your marriage and, and you held steadfast and stood firm and glorified God and, and, and kept, on, kept on, you know, being with each other. And, and so what is your stone? What are some stones maybe you're going to have to take and throw away and add some new ones? So I kind of want you to be thinking in that, that mindset. But first, I was thinking about memorials. And we have a memorial out there by our flag. It's those men, members of our church that were in the military and have passed on and we put a little plaque out there with their name to, to have a memorial thing for them and to thank them and continue to thank them for their service. But let's think of some other memorials.
memorials that we have. Just real quick, right? The rainbow. Who doesn't love a rainbow? Okay, when it's in the sky, we recently had one. It's a reminder that God would never again destroy the world by flood. Look at Genesis 9, 13 through 16. It'll be on the screen because I've got so much scripture I want to, you know, save a little time. I set my bow in the my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow will be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. There's another one, the Passover. This was a reminder that the blood of the Lamb saves sinners from judgment, Exodus 12, 11 through 14. Now, you shall eat it in this manner, with your loins girded, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will go through the land of Egypt on that night, and will strike down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now this day will be a memorial to you, and you shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, you are to celebrate it as a permanent ordinance. We read in Numbers 16, 39 through 40 about some brazen censers. It was a reminder that no one except Aaron's seed must attempt to offer incense. So Eleazar, the priest, took the bronze censers, which the men who were burned had offered, and they hammered them out as a plating for the altar, as a reminder to the sons of Israel that no layman who was not of the descendants of Aaron should come near to burn incense before the Lord. So that he will not become like Korah and his company, just as the Lord has spoken to him through Moses. Again, a reminder, a memorial. They also had one in, about the Sabbath in Deuteronomy 5.15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. The manna and the Ark of the Covenant, another memorial, a reminder of God's supernatural provision in the desert, Exodus 16:32. Then Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer full of it be kept throughout your generations, that they may see the bread that I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Purim was a reminder of salvation from wicked Haman in Esther 9:28. So these days were to be remembered and celebrated throughout every generation, every family, every province, and every city. And these days of Purim were not to fail from among the Jews or their memory fade from their descendants. We read about the Feast of Tabernacles, and as a reminder of Israel's deliverance from Egypt, Leviticus 23, says, On exactly the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the crops of the land, you shall celebrate the Feast of the Lord for seven days, with a rest on the first day and a rest on the eighth day. 
Now on the first day you shall take for yourselves the foliage of beautiful trees, palm branches and boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. You shall thus celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall live in booths for seven days. All the native born in Israel shall live in booths, so that your generations may know that I had the sons of Israel live in booths when I brought them out from the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Now, New Testament one is the anointing of Jesus' head and feet by Mary, the sister of Lazarus, and this was a reminder of Mary's devotion to Christ. John 12 and Matthew 26, we're going to be in Matthew 26. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head, and he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price, and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, this woman has done, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. And then something that we practice here, say in remembrance of me on front of the uh, altar there, the Lord's Supper we have communion, it's the Lord's Supper. It's a reminder of the broken body and shed blood of Christ. Uh, Luke 22, 19, Paul covers it in 1 Corinthians 11, but here in Luke 22, 19 it says, And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. So we see these memorials through Scripture. A fun study is to take Scripture and go through and find more. There's plenty more that, that can be found. Memorials, things that, that we have to remind us of something wonderful that happened in the past. Now, as far as the stones where bad things happen, we want to get rid of those. But we want to have the things that, and learn from the history, but we want to have stones in our own life, our memorial stones, of things that we can share with generations, that, that I could share, have shared with my kids, and then to share with the grandkids, and you as well. What stones are you placing to remind your family that God is good to His Word and His promises? That's the key. So that's why God told Joshua to bring this out to remind them. So let's get back to the stones, okay? And let's talk about those right now. I only have three points, okay? Each one's an hour, so don't, don't worry. But no, just three points, all right? What do these stones mean? The first one, and it's very basic. Ready? It's profound. It's all about God. Let's pray. We could end there. It's all about God. Everything's about God, is it not? Everything in our life, it's all about God. Seeing that rock pile and hearing the story, the people of Israel would know clearly that they had not crossed Jordan on their own. Those stones cried out, God did this. God did this. They cry out that, that God did this. By his hand we have crossed the river. By his power and faithfulness we have accomplished this. That's what they cry out to the generation and generation and generation and generation. And isn't that our plea should be? Hey, hey, kids, God did this. God changed your dad. God changed your mom. God did it, not me. 
Now, let me just go back to some history a little bit that kind of harmonizes with this, all right? An anxious Moses pleads for help. Okay, Exodus 33. I'm going to have it on the screen, but if you want to go there, you can. An anxious Moses pleads for help. God, you tell me, lead these people. All right? But you don't let me know whom you're going to go send to me to do this. And are, God, are you traveling with us or not? Okay? He wanted to know some things. So in Exodus 33, 12, it says, Then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up the, this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. So Moses is hearing this in verse 16. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth? Now, you can hardly fault, you know, uh, Moses for his fears, all right? He's encircled by, by Israelites who long for Egypt. Remember how they grumble, grumble, grumble? And second, by desert of hot winds and, and blazing boulders. And, and the ex-shepherd, he needs assurance. His maker offers it. He says there, I myself will go with you. I will do what you ask because I know you very well and I am pleased with you. Okay, and that's in verse 14 and 17. He says, Lord replied, I will personally go with you. Here's God saying, I will personally go with you. All right, Moses, and I will give you the rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then in 17, the Lord replies to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked. For I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. Folks, that is an awesome thing, because you know what? Guess who knows your name? Our Savior, He knows you by name. Didn't God say, I know every hair that's on your head, even when you lose them? I still know how many you had originally, okay, that's some, for some of us. He knows all that about us, all right? He knows everything. You think that Moses, that would have been enough for Moses, but, but he lingers. He, he, he's thinking, perhaps of that last sentence, I will do what you ask. I will do what you ask. Perhaps God will indulge one more request. So he swallows, he sighs, and he requests. Oh, let's wait for the rest of the story, because i got to come back. For what would you think you would ask? Think about that. If God said, ask, whatever you want to ask, ask. Now we know Solomon would ask for wisdom, which was a very good thing for him. But what would you ask right now, June 28, 2020? What would you ask? What would you ask God if, if he, you could do that? He has God's attention. Moses got God seems willing to hear his prayer. See, in, in verse 11, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. So many requests he could make. He, he, how about a million requests? Because as he looks in his rearview mirror in Exodus 12, 37, that's how many it says was there. A million stiff-necked, unappreciative, cow-worshipping ex-slaves who grumble with every step. Had Moses prayed, could you turn these people into sheep? <laughs> Would you have blamed him? <laughs> you know, because sheep only a few months ago, Moses was a shepherd in that same spot near the mountain, keeping an eye on a flock. What a difference this time around, because guess what? Sheep don't make demands in a desert or a mess out of blessings, and they certainly don't make calves out of gold or ask to go back to Egypt. Think about what Moses, where he's at. I will do what you ask. You know, I'll borrow a, a thing from Star Trek, because I like Star Trek. Could you beam me to Canaan? You know? 
Hey, Scotty, beam me up. You know, God, beam me over there. Now, you know what? I kind of, we kind of make fun of that, but guess what? Could God do that? Yes, he could. You know, Moses knew what God could do. He just saw all the power of God. God who created the universe and the galaxies, who created man and female. God could do that. God could say, you're there, and they'd be there. God has that power. I think sometimes we sell God short. We kind of put God in a box. And we say, God, I, I, I know you're there, and I know you're really powerful, but I don't know if you could do this. You know, now, as, as a New Testament church, I know we always pray within God's will. We have to be careful with that. But I'm getting more bolder in my prayers. I really am. I, as I get older, I'm getting more bolder. Maybe because I know I'm going to be in heaven soon. But I don't know the reason. But, but here, Moses, I will do what you ask. Moses knew the power. He knew. Moses wanted one more thing. Look at verse 33, or chapter 33, verse 18. This blows me away of what Moses, remember I said, what, what would you ask? Here's what he asked. Then show me your glorious presence. Another translation says, I pray you, show me your glory. I pray you, show me your glory? Really, Moses, why would you ask that? I pray you, show me your glory. And, and guess what? He did. He, he, the pre-incarnate Christ, he said, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, put my hand there, and when I pass by, I'll let it go, and you can see the backside of me, because you can't see the glory face to face like that. When we, we cross the line, folks, when we make such a request, when our deepest desire is not the things of God or a favor from God, but God himself, we cross the threshold. We really do. And, and as I was studying this and preparing this, I said, oh, God, I broke down crying because I said, I'm not there yet. I'm confessing. I want more of God. After this message, and I've been practicing, I said, I want more of God. I need more of God. Less self-focus, more God-focus. Less about me, more about Him. That's what it's all about. It's about God. It's about God from generation to generation. I want more of God in my life. I want to see your glory. I want to see your glory. Why did Moses want to see God's greatness? I, I wondered about that. Well, you ever stare at sunsets and say, oh, how beautiful. There's some out here. We get the sun right here. And sometimes the, the sky is just gorgeous. Rainbows, we all, like I said earlier, we look at rainbows. Oh, it's beautiful. You know, oh, the beach when you go in the mountain, the oceans. And, and you go to mountains and you say, oh, wow. It, they're all beautiful, aren't they? They're all beautiful. You know why we say, wow, this is awesome? Because it all points to God. It all points to God. So let's look at the result, Exodus 34. But before we do that, I want to give you a lie. I'm going to share a lie with you, okay, that's out there now in the present day. The more self-esteem I have, the better life will go for me. That is a lie from the pit of hell. I'm sorry to be that frank with you, but it is. The more self-esteem I have, the better life will go for me. Here's the truth, God's truth, from his word. The more I choose God and, and others over myself, the more joyful I will be. The more I choose God and others over myself, the more joyful I will be. That's the truth. But we live the lie. 
We live the lie. We live the lie. It's all about me, my self-esteem, everything like that. And no wonder we're so miserable and unhappy and frustrated and everything like that and can't find satisfaction. Now, let me go back to Exodus 34 and see the result of this. So when Aaron and all the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. Wow. And they were afraid to come to him. Then Moses called to them and Aaron and all the rulers in the congregation returned to him and Moses spoke to them. Afterward, all the sons of Israel came near and, the command, and he commanded them to do everything that the Lord had spoken. Do what the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put the veil back over his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take off the veil until he came out. And whenever he came out and spoke to the sons of Israel what he had been commanded, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. So Moses would replace the veil over his face until he went in to speak with them. Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory, so that the sons of Israel could not look intently at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face fading as it was. When I saw that, I said, Wow, does my face shine with the love of Christ? You know, basically Jesus said, Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love others as yourself. There's no law based upon those two. There, that is the, the, the laws right there. That's the basic thing that we should be doing. It's all about God then, isn't it? Loving God with all who I am, loving others with all who I am. Shouldn't Moses' request, though, be ours? Shouldn't Moses' request be ours? Now, I know you've got problems, I've got problems. We're living in a dying body, walking on a decaying planet, surrounded by self-centered society, some saved by grace, others fueled by narcissism, many of us by both, cancer, war, riots, disease, and on and on we could say. There are no small issues, is there? It just seems like even what we're doing now with the mask and social, there's no small issues. A small God? No, thank you. My God's not small. How big is God? He's big enough to rule the universe, yet small enough to live in my heart. That's how big my God is. I want a big God. You and I need what Moses needed, a glimpse of God's glory. Such a sighting can change you forever. Do you ever take your child or grandchild to the park, and you're there, and, well, now we can't. Well, you can't to the park, you can't play on the playground. But let's, let's imagine, okay, <laughs> that everything's back to normal, and your, your grandchild or child's playing on the, on the monkey bars and all that, and you're on a bench, and you're sitting there, and all of a sudden it starts getting crowded. And your child goes, they start, they can't see mommy or daddy anymore. Where, where are they? Or pop up or mama, where are they? Where are they? Where are they? And, and, and they look and, and they see your face and you say, it's okay. Pop-up's here. Daddy's here. Mommy's here. Mama's here. It's okay. And the child goes, ah. think about that as far as us and our father. And at this moment, I hope you realize something. You could look around and find fear. You could look around and find fear, or look at your father and find faith. There's a big difference. I choose my heavenly father's face, folks. I hope you do too. So did Moses, and so can you choose your heavenly father's faith. Second point, we have a missionary purpose. This one's going to make some people a little uh, nervous. Here at Faith Bible Church, folks, God has blessed us with two beautiful buildings, has he not? The lobby, the hallway, that turned out beautiful. And I know we must spend money to maintain the buildings, and our, our next big project may be a new roof or the parking lot, and I hate spending money for that kind of stuff, but we have to. We love this property and desire to keep it looking nice, don't we? We, we do. We keep it nice. But guess what? 
We have no mission here but the Great Commission. That's it. We have no mission here but the Great Commission. These buildings are not memorials to us but to Him. We exist to know God and make Him known. Our buildings exist not to make us comfortable or proud, but for God's glory in the gospel's advance. Now, I may step on a few toes here this morning, but please bear with me, okay? Our message is not these buildings and how beautiful they look. All right? And they do, and they're gorgeous, but that's not our message. We think that, and, and there's, uh, we think that if visitors come, and if you're here visiting, we're glad you're here and everything, we welcome visitors, but, but you think if visitors come and, and the walls are marked up, the carpet, that, that they're not going to accept Christ, or they're going to be panicking and say, well, I'll never come back there again, okay? They'll think less of us if the place doesn't look a certain way. Now, I'm not talking about keeping it clean and organized. I'm not talking about that, but the walls are marked up a little bit. Guess what? They're here to hear about Christ. And, and how are they going to know about Christ? Us, not the buildings. And, and I want to share with you very briefly, very shortly, some responsibilities church. It's not all inclusive, but just go through a few of them, okay? Because I think it will apply here to us as we think of our mission, our commission. The first one, to love God. It's that basic, to love God. Like I said, with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, that's our responsibility as a church, to love God. You know what's sad? There's a sad verse in Revelation 2.4. Let me read it. You have left your first love. It's a church at Ephesus. In the New Living Translation, it says this, But I have this against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. That's a sad state for a church, that to be said about a church, isn't it? And yet Christ said that about the church at Ephesus. You've left your first love. Folks, we've got to keep that in mind here. What's another responsibility? To glorify God. To glorify God through our praise and prayer. This morning, what a beautiful job the, the band did. It says in John 15, 8, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Our giving, Hebrews 13, 6, and you folks are good in that area. Do not neglect doing good and sharing for which such sacrifices God is pleased. Through our preaching and teaching, 1 Peter 4, 11, Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterance of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Our becoming of the same mind, Romans 1, 15, 5 and 6. Now, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Not preferences, not different opinions, which we all have, but of the same mind in Christ Jesus. So that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Through our acknowledging of God's Son, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Our believing in God's Word, Romans 4, 20. Our suffering, 1 Peter 4, 14 through 16. Let me read that one. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed. What? Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed but is to glorify God in this name. Through our witnessing, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1, to display God's grace, Ephesians 2, 7, 3, 6, and 10, to evangelize the world, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, and Acts 1, 8, to baptize believers, Matthew 28, 8, 19, to instruct believers, 1 Timothy 4, 6, 5, 17, to edify believers, Ephesians 4, 11, 12, 16, to discipline believers, Matthew 18, 17, to provide fellowship for believers, Acts 2, 42, and to care for its own in time of need, 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Folks, what we have to understand is our mission is the Great Commission. 
And what the pastors here are desiring and praying and equipping and teaching you is to go out and do the work of the ministry. You know, what's sad? Pastor Frank and I were just talking about this this past week and Pastor Jason. We were talking about this church and how it's going to grow. And we're going to be gathering together and sharing with you some ways that it can grow and some vision that God's given the three of us to present to you and everything like that. And I was thinking of past baptismal pools. And you know what? If you've been here a long time when we baptize people, I used to hear the same name in that baptismal pool over and over and over and over again. Lou Holloman, Lou Holloman, Lou Holloman, Lou Holloman, Lou Holloman, Lou Holloman. Pastor Frank took his space, okay? Now we hear Pastor Frank, Pastor Frank. And, and occasionally we hear somebody else. I want my name. Now I know this may sound proud, proudful, but no, it's not. I want my name to be mentioned. I want somebody to say, because of Michael Keaton, I saw Christ. His face shone with the love of Christ. He loved me for Christ's sake, and he made a difference in my life. Because, folks, the church is not going to grow if all we hear is Mike, Jason, Frank. It's got to be you. You've got to go out and attach yourself to unsaved people in the community, where you work, where you go to school, where you shop, where you get gas. I could ask Chris, why, Tim Ellis, why guys that ride motorcycles, why are we riding Monday night to impact the unsaved guys that are coming? I know Tim's heart. He's leaving this ministry. I know his heart. He wants to make an impact on those motorcycle riders and say, oh, look, we know Christ. We have Christ. We ride motorcycles. See, we're not the, the, the hell's angels or anything like that. We're, we're good guys you know we, we're saved and born again not perfect we want to make an impact and have a, a, a way that we can get into their lives and share Christ everything can be used Dave Redmond uses pickleball which I love now thanks Dave okay pickleball you know we use volleyball Pastor Jason has what, what is it sometimes 50 not now he's kind of keeping it small but back before coronas he had 50 sometimes more guys from our community unsaved guys in Thursday night playing basketball why to reach out to reach out to reach out and say wow that's how this church is going to grow by you whether it's in small groups inviting lost to a small group which is a very good thing to do we have to do it together we have to do it together now the last point because time is slipping we must change if we want to be more like Jesus this is this is a tough one because as I did this it really hit me between the eyes because I had to realize my message is about him I have to change. The message is not about me. It's about him. Remember I said earlier, it's all about God. It's about him. The stones here uh, of the Jordan, they marked uh, the movements of God and his, among his people. They testified of the willingness of a people to leave what they had known in order to be, go with God, to face challenges to their faith. And we're going to face challenges to our faith, to step into the water. Can you imagine stepping into that water, that raging water, to believe in what they could not see, to believe in what they could not see. My message is about him. You remember the Pony Express riders? Uh, they were paid to take a letter and, and go from A to B real fast, as fast as they could. Can you imagine that as they get the message safely there and quickly, that they would say, oh, I'm taking credit for this letter. Now, they could take credit for getting it there, but they didn't write it. They didn't pay to... You see how silly that is? You go to an art gallery and the guy takes you around and shows you art. Can you imagine uh, that the applause? He thinks he should have the applause for the art. He didn't paint that art. 
Same thing for us. The message is about him. I found a story about a European village priest in medieval times, way back, gathered his church for a special service. Come tonight, he told them, for a special sermon on Jesus. And they did. They came. To their surprise, however, no candles. They didn't have electric back then. No candles illuminated the sanctuary. They groped. Can you imagine coming in? They groped for the way to the pews and took their seats. The priest was nowhere to be sound, uh, seen. But soon he was heard walking through the church toward the front. When he reached the crucifix they had that hung on the wall, he lit a candle. Saying nothing, he illuminated the pierced feet of Christ. Then the side. Then one hand, and then the other hand. Lifting the candle, he showed light on the blood-masked face and crown of thorns. With a puff, he blew out the candle and dismissed the church. Before he did, he said two sentences. May we do nothing more. May we do nothing less. That was the message. May we do nothing more. May we do nothing less. Folks, it's all about him. Our message is about him. My salvation is about him. It's not about me. Legalists trust in Christ a lot, but they don't trust in Christ alone. That's the problem. Your salvation showcases God's mercy. It makes nothing of your effort, but everything of his. 1 Corinthians 1.31 says, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. It's not about what we do. It's all about what he does. My body is about him. Your body is God's instrument intended for his work and for his glory. 1 Corinthians 6.19, don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? What a privilege and honor that we have in the church age to have the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, living in us. The Old Testament, they didn't have the permanent dwelling of the Holy Spirit. We do. What a privilege and honor. Your body, God's tool, maintain it. Your body, God's temple, respect it. God owns the whole work, so let people see God in and through your body, because you're the only Jesus some will ever see. My struggles are about him. Oh, your pain has a purpose, folks. Your problems, your struggles, your heartaches and, and hassles cooperate toward one end, and that's to glorify of God, the glory of God, to glorify Him. Is there any chance, any possibility that you have been selected to struggle for God's glory? <laughs> you may say, okay, I don't want to be selected. Don't select me. Select somebody else. You know, select Pastor Frank, not Pastor Mike. Let him struggle. I don't want to struggle. But maybe you've been selected to struggle. Philippians 1.29, look what it says. Have you been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake? Think about that. It's an honor then to suffer for his sake. God will use whatever he wants to display his glory. The heavens, the stars, history, nations, people, problems, kidnapped couple in the Philippines, dying mother in Ohio. A season of suffering is a small assignment when you compare to the reward. Compared to the reward. Rather than begrudge your problems, explore it. Ponder it. And most of all, use it. Use it for the glory of God. Last. My success is about him. There's some names up there that Jack Tinker and Partners, J. Walter Thompson and the BBDO company uh, say, what, what are those? Well, I'm going to say something to you. You'll know. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. Oh, what a relief it is. What is that? Alka-Seltzer. That's Jack Tinker. J. Walter Thompson. Snap, crackle, pop. What's that? My cereal. Mm-mm, good. Mm-mm, good. What is that? 
Campbell's Soup. Since 1935, they've been using that. All right? These are advertising companies. But guess what? We could learn a lot from these advertising companies. What they do for their clients, we exist to do for Christ. Are we not ambassadors of Christ? Representatives of Christ? As Heaven's Advertising Agency, that's what we are. We promote God in every area of life, including success. Again, you're the only Jesus some will ever see. You're the only words of life some will ever read. So let them see in you the one in whom is all they'll ever need. You're the only Jesus some will ever see. What are they seeing? What are your workmates seeing? What are those that you sh go shopping? What are your children seeing? What are your grandchildren seeing? What are your great-grandchildren seeing? What are they seeing? What stones are you building? Are they seeing that there's two parents that can't get along with each other, and they're disobeying God, and, they, and they're, they're going to have divorce? Are, are they seeing that? Are they seeing where there's, you know, mismanagement of money and, and a budget in a house? Are they seeing anger? Are they seeing selfish? What are they seeing? What are the stones that maybe you're building that you have to take out? It's all about God. That is right. Even your success is intended to reflect God. Let me give you a Moses reminder. Deuteronomy 8.18. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. In order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. And then, of course, Proverbs 16.18. Pride goes before destruction and haughtiness before a fall. See, God lets you excel so you can make him known. Okay. Think of our own, the greatest quarterback of the greatest team in the whole NFL, the Eagles, okay? Think about that, all right? Carson Wentz, a believer. He's using his success, his audience of one, that ministry has, he's using that to glorify God. We all know Tim Tebow. He's still doing it, even though his path has changed. He's doing that to glorify God. And there's others in that way. I, I, when I traveled with Jack, I met a lot of businessmen that had a lot of money. I remember the one, Ford. Now, if you go, I don't know if the bubblegum machine still have it, but he invented the, the bubblegum machine. And he had a gold-plated one in his office at his house in Boca Raton. It was Ford, just F-O-R-D. And you see the bubblegum machines. If you ever see one, see, see if it says Ford. They may have changed over the years. But he was a born-again believer, and he was there, his success, to keep glorifying God. And that's what he did. He kept glorifying God through his success. You know, uh, success sabotages, though, memories of the successful. That's what happens. Kings of the mountain, <laughs> they forget who carried them up the trail very quickly. It's all about him, his present and future glory. So, what stones do you need to add? Or what stones do you need to, to, to take away so you can glorify your God and Savior? What do these stones mean to you? What is going to be your stones that you're going to be able to lay, as they did back then when they crossed the Jordan, to remember what God did? May we have no higher goal, folks, than to see someone think more highly of our Father, our King, our Savior than us. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you so much, Father, for just your word, for being able to just take a, a, a short moment, Lord, 30-some uh, minutes, Lord. We, we opened your word. We, we talked about the memorial stones. And, Lord, we kind of tried to apply it to our lives as best as we could, Lord. And I pray that you would help us, Lord. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's all about you. Help us to make that our mantra. It's 
all about you. It's all about you. God, what would you want me to do? How would you want me to act? How would you want me to love? How would you want me to share Christ? How I want the, the glory of God to shine upon my face. Because, Father, we know soon, soon, it's all going to be over. And then it's going to be too late. Lord, we're not promised tomorrow. We're in the present. And we could pass away today or tomorrow and stand before you. God, I don't want to be embarrassed when I stand before my Jesus. I want you, my Jesus, to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Oh, I know I've had mistakes. I've sinned. I've messed up. I've done things that I shouldn't have done. But God, I've come to you in a heart of repentance, got on my knees, made things right, asked you to cleanse me. And God, you bring me peace and joy again in my heart and life. I pray if there's one here this morning that is not walking with you, Lord, help them not to camouflage it. Help them not to, to justify it. Help them to get right with you, Father. Help them to fall on their knees, repent of their sin, and make things right in their home. Make things right in their family. Make things right at church. Make things right at, at work. Make things right in, in, their, in their family here uh, of Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, don't let us go another day without doing that. God, we love you. We thank you so much for what you've given us, for what you've done for us. Father, thank you, thank you for our salvation. Where will we be without you? And someday we're going to be able to say, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. Thank you for being a big God. And you can handle everything, Father. We just have to turn over to you. Now be with us as we depart. Give us a great week, Father. Continue to be with those, Father, that are, are, are watching through Facebook, Lord. Protect us all, Father, as a family. Protect those around us as we start going back to work, Lord. We don't want to have a repeat of what's going on in some of the states around now in the United States. We want to stay healthy, Lord. So help us to be wise and, and smart in our dealings with each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So stand up and sing, of course, behold our God.